On this episode of First Person, I'm talking to Alina Benny, SEO and content lead at Nextiva, about the rise of something really troubling, content unicorns. This is an elusive breed of content marketer that seems to be an expert in everything, from content creation and distribution to coding and technical SEO. So how did the myth of the content unicorn get started, and what's it doing to the industry? Join me today to find out with Alina Benny on First Person. Hey, Alina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. First off, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about how you got to where you are today. How did you get your start in marketing and what are you doing today? Yeah, well, um, I was supposed to be an astrophysicist <laughs> and here I am. That's kind of like the, the long story short, but um, I studied to be uh, an electronics and communications engineer and then I was supposed to go do my master's in astrophysics. But um, thankfully, uh, just right into my first year of college, I realized that that wasn't for me. Um, I guess it was just a mix of where I was and like the kind of um, mentorship I was getting. I realized I needed a lot more support. And unfortunately, the university I went to didn't have that. And I was also not enjoying the technicality of the whole thing. And I decided I would start doing some freelance work um, just to kind of see how things might be as like a copywriter out there. And I started working with a few small startups uh, in India. Uh, at that point, because I was untested in the market, I had to work pro bono. Um, and that I think I did free work for about a whole year before someone finally agreed to pay me. And that was a game changer because I told my parents that someone's actually willing to pay me for a skill that I didn't know I had. It, it just kind of set that ball rolling. It, it changed my life and it steered me into marketing. I landed my first role as a brand content marketer at Freshworks. Back then they were called Freshdesk. I was part of the brand team that helped with the rebrand from Freshdesk to Freshworks. We were five people, so it was really exciting being one of them. I then moved into product marketing for their CRM tool, which is their second largest tool in the company. I um, supported the team inside of product marketing as they grew from about $2 million in ARR to about $10 million in ARR. And then I moved to Sales Hacker uh, as their first content marketing manager. We got acquired by Outreach in a few short months. And now Nextiva is my home. <laughs> so that's kind, of, that's kind of the story. That's a pretty awesome story. Just sort of double-clicking on the, the Astro physicist <laughs> copywriter journey that you went on. How did you figure out that that might be something that you are good at, at, you know, just sort of reveal itself over time because that's quite a departure. And sometimes it's really interesting to kind of figure out, are there clues beforehand that kind of make you think, oh, I, I could do this? Well, I found myself um, getting hit up by a lot of seniors in college to do their reports. It just It just came easily to me. I was able to do it in a few hours when it took a few days for most people. And so I started kind of doing that as like a side gig in college just for some extra cash. <laughs> I would edit people's reports. I would just make synopsis for them. And then I, I realized, you know what, why not just try and do this for an actual company? One of the cool things uh, looking back was um, I had a lot of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my own skill, but I did have a lot of support to make the right decisions at every juncture. That I think has been the biggest reason why I ended up 
here, you know, of course I have a long way to go, but um, just being able to make the right decisions at every point. I had the option of joining a larger company, like an MNC right out of college where about 200 people were getting recruited, but I decided I wouldn't go there because I wanted to work for a B2B tech company in India. And so just small decisions like that everywhere kind of let me here. It's interesting though, because I think it makes you well-versed in all of these different facets, not just content or copywriting or brand, but really beyond that in terms of growth and some of the things that you've done. So you became incredibly well-versed with, with all of this experience. Yeah, I'm hoping so. <laughs> I think so. And it's, it is funny because when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, you brought up something that's kind of related to this, which is also near and dear to my heart as a content marketer. And it's sort of a challenge that a lot of us face. And it's sort of this idea that I'm referring to as the content unicorn. And you talked about it a little bit when we caught up a couple of weeks ago, but I'm wondering if you could describe what's your definition of a content unicorn? Yeah, it's the dreaded definition. Um, a content unicorn can do basically everything from technical SEO to copywriting to on-page optimization and content promotion. And it's it's what I see on all these wild job descriptions that people have been putting out saying that, oh, we're looking for somebody with three plus years experience doing front-end website development and implementation implementation of like technical SEO recommendations, great copywriting skills, along with an aggressive focus on search intent. And I'm like, who is this person? Do they even exist? Right. If they do, then I want to meet them and I want to be them. <laughs> yeah. I would like to hire them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's kind of an insane thing. And it's interesting because you and I, both being in content, we come up against this all of the time. You know, people are expected to, like you said, be able to build websites, be completely not just conversant in SEO, but be expert in SEO, uh, you know, a technical expert as well. And from what we've seen, and I know this is definitely something you've experienced, it's, it's kind of detrimental in a couple of different ways, right? So it's it's detrimental to content marketers who are kind of being measured up against this yardstick of the content unicorn. But then it's kind of also detrimental for businesses, right? Yeah, it is totally. Because the way I look at it, a technical SEO person is, they can they know HTML, CSS, JavaScript. They can talk about improving information architecture and navigation and page layout. And they are the ones who are well-versed in doing experiments reduce crawl errors and improve site accessibility and on the other hand what a content seo person usually works on is like the overarching content strategy they need to have a fair idea of the best practices inside of seo they need to be able to be generally good at copy Uh, if they are very good that's definitely an add-on they need to have an eye for cro they need to be good at juggling numbers looking at engagement metrics for content and conversions and where the first group falls short is that they don't always understand the commercial impact of SEO. They're just so focused on the technicalities. And where the second group falls short is that they think that creativity can just help everything get in front of the right audience. And so when companies are looking for this one person, they just end up hiring somebody who, you know, either... Of course, they are. Um, they might be experts in both, but I've personally never met somebody like that. 
And if they claim to be, there's no way they can be experienced in that within like three to five years because we're talking about actual hard skills in, in two very different buckets. And to me, so realistically, what this person or this unicorn, if they were to actually manifest themselves, <laughs> they would they would be able to validate SEO requests and you know, they would be able to oversee implementation of like technical SEO recommendations as opposed to actually implement them. They might be able to provide their opinions and recommendations on like, you know, page layouts and UX elements. And they would be that ultimate internal advocate for SEO best practices. So that to me is like, you know, what, where I'm trying to kind of mold myself and head to. Um, yeah, but I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> No, it's really interesting to me because, I mean, we've definitely talked about this idea of the content unicorn, but I've also had the same conversation with a ton of other folks in the content space. And I think there is, there's, there can be some utility to thinking about a content marketer as more than just someone who simply writes words, which I think that simple definition is also detrimental. But I think as we've talked about, you can also feel like the requirements for just getting into the game seem kind of overwhelming. And I know that that's sort of something you experienced kind of breaking into the space. Yeah, totally. I think I think one of the reasons I, I was able to come to this kind of a conclusion was because back in 2018, when I was looking for a role, I was basically a beginner uh, and I still do consider myself a beginner in a lot of different ways but I was a beginner back then trying I had a little bit of brand experience I had a little bit of copywriting experience and also product marketing experience but I was where I wanted to head was down the SEO road and it was so difficult for me to try and articulate that to somebody hiring for this role I would get asked questions I remember especially on this one interview where I walked up crying after this call <laughs> he asked me questions inside of Google ads, like just terms and like keyword groups and how I would approach them given a budget. He then spoke to me about what kind of SEO experiments I've run within the company that I've previously worked at. And mm. of course, I didn't have any answers to give him because I already told him my experience was inside of brand and product marketing. And none of these functions involve hard skills inside of SEO. And I probably got rejected. It could also be that I was naive enough to hope that some company would hire me for a for an entirely different type of role um uh, that was you know a departure from the type of role that I was used to I think where I got lucky was when I saw sales hacker put out that job description for their first ever content marketing manager they wanted somebody who was a a beginner somebody who was coachable and somebody who knew that SEO was important and had some commercial value and could drive revenue for you and help you build an audience. So somebody who, you know, was an appreci appreciator of the art of SEO. And they wanted somebody who had heard of these different SEO tools and were open to learning about it. And, and so it was a very soft introduction into SEO. And I fell for the job description. You know, there was just no doubt in my mind that I had to apply for it. And yeah, you know, that was just kind of like my gateway into the world of SEO. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm pretty sure that, and because we've talked about this before in the past, that you had some great people there also at Sales Hacker who were kind of helping lead the way. I know that Gaetano was a really big impact on you. Um, can you tell people a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure thing. I think, um, and I say this almost every day and I, and I say it with a lot of pride. Uh, he changed my life. <laughs> he, um, it was really difficult for me, right? I, 
started applying for roles, I think in September of 2018, I was getting rejected almost some five to six times a week, all the way until January of, I'm sorry, 2017, September, and all the way until like January of 2018. And so I was so beaten down, I was almost sure that I wasn't going to get this SEO role that I wanted to get into. And right from just making me confident enough indirectly, I, I don't think he even know, knew he prompted me to apply for that role just by the way that he structured that JD and just helping me through that test project and being there when I had any questions. Uh, I also wasn't afraid to tap into Scott and like the rest of the team because I was I already knew them during my time at Crushworks. And Scott Parker, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And while on the job too, because we were just two people running content, we were on calls every day just, and he would coach me through literally like the different processes he already had in place for the different, uh, you know, keyword research strategies or like how to manage hundred different partners at the same time who all had content requests. So I got a crash course in SEO in a way that I never anticipated. It was six months of just an amazing, amazing learning curve. And we took it to the next level when we joined Nextiva because from working on SEO and content and building a contributor program and our email list at Sales Hacker, which is like at that point was a tiny B2B sales media company, I came to a bootstrapped, profitable B2B right. tech company, which had 1,000 employees. And so our problems were different. <laughs> we had right. to, we were responsible for revenue. And so, um, you know, if I were to do that by myself, I'm pretty sure I would have crushed under pressure. But he's one of the biggest reasons that I'm still here. And I'm still like, I, I he helps me overcome my imposter syndrome almost on a weekly basis. And yeah, he's kind of like the best mentor ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that speaks volumes both in terms of your willingness to learn and make mistakes and be okay with that. And then I think conversely, it speaks volumes about having a great boss, having a great manager and the impact that can have on your ability to grow. I think as a sort of something I've observed is just the potential there has to be matched by the potential on the other side. And both of you need to have that willingness and flexibility to find your sweet spot and to allow you to ultimately shine and I don't think people realize how pivotal that is to success, like career success, life success. People have to have that patience and you have to also be open, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I know I can't do it alone, uh, not just with my general career trajectory where I lean on Gaetano for that kind of direction. Even on my day-to-day -day activities and my tasks, I know I can't do it alone. So I'm not afraid to lean on my team for it. This is something I had to develop over time um, when I joined or when Gaetano and I joined Nextiva, we were just two people building the demand gen function from scratch. And today we're about 10 people. And wow. because I was used to doing a lot of things on my own, I did struggle with trying to bring everybody together and work closely with them. But what I realized is the moment I started doing that, my job became so much more fun and so much easier and faster. And yes. so, <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's a mix of the two. You, you need to have a great manager and you need to have a great team. And both definitely, if you can match that with your initiative and enthusiasm, that's kind of like the you know, utopia for career growth. <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate experience. And I totally get that. I think it definitely comes from coming up in the startup world because I've had that same you know experience where like at a startup, it's like you just you best go do everything that you need to do to get stuff done. Whereas when you find a team and you have that healthy dynamic, the, the weight 
is distributed more equally and you can feel like you can grow in different ways. And so I think that's a really powerful example of that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You have mentioned to me about how challenging it was for you because you were a quote unquote marketer from India. And I'd love to know from your perspective, what does that mean? And for people who don't understand what that is all about, can you just describe it a little bit? Yeah, (laughs) we don't talk about it a lot. And it applies to both me and my husband, because he's in sales, and he's VP of sales at a data company, which is a fully distributed team. And I um, you know, found my calling inside of marketing. For, for the both of us, it was extremely, extremely difficult to break out of the Indian market, which we realized pretty early on in our careers. We just felt like the ideas and the people that we resonated with weren't at the companies that we were at before. There was just a lot of bureaucracy that we didn't um, necessarily enjoy. But when we were trying to make that switch to working with more global companies or specifically companies in North America, there was this general bias, you know, just, and I'm sure you've heard the latest banter on Twitter where people have been calling out <laughs> resumes, or I'm sorry, job descriptions that say native English speakers or, you know, just requirements of those on those lines. And it's the same thing, right? Like not even just with language, but generally there is some kind of a, a blocker when it comes to hiring a marketer or a salesperson, because these two are in its own ways, you know, generally people in this part of the world, they weren't good at it. You know, people look at India or like Philippines or like uh, most of the countries on this side of the world for technical skills. That's why a ton of the companies in the US and Canada have their engineering offices or like even customer support offices in India. I think it's only over the last few, you know, like a half a decade that people started looking at Indians or like even other folks from Asia for help inside of sales and marketing and not just help but like leaders in in, in sales and marketing and and that's with I don't know where it began I don't know where that transition happened but at least for me the reason I was able to make that switch is number one my education I feel like a lot of people they get shot down and uh, they see they're seen as spammers and we all get this on LinkedIn right like at least one message a week if anything about from link builders and like guest posting requests that are badly phrased and have poor grammar and they don't know how to build relationships. And it hurts me to look at that because I could have been that. And the only difference between marketers who are trying to do that and me is the fact that I had good education. And thanks to my parents for that. You know, it's, it's pure luck. I, it, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and so one of my personal goals is to at some point, just kind of help build a a younger community of marketers in India where they know that relationship skills and like being able to talk with confidence and like build hard skills that are valued everywhere. uh, Those just some of, I think, I think that's what's valued. And I think that's what helped us stand out a little bit and and not be seen as, oh, you know what, we're not going to be able to give this person this job because they're from this part of the world and they can't write in English or they can't you know, they can't build relationships because that's just not how they were trained. So. Right. And that's interesting. I'd love to just go deeper into that for a second. If you say you were building that community of marketers, of those younger marketers coming up in India, what would you say to them? Like if you were giving them advice about how to launch a career in marketing? 
I would say the number one thing is when this probably sounds cliche, but anytime and this was, this is a lot of times actually, I've always felt like I wasn't enough, and the only way I was able to slowly grow out of that was to just put in more hours, just read more, talk to more people, and get and ask why I was rejected. You know, I, I always because it's easy for people to say no, and then you don't know how to improve yourself the next time before you apply again and so I was almost annoyingly persistent about finding out why it is that people didn't want to hire me and I would intentionally write those down document them and see if it was actually things I could control and most of the time it was it was that I didn't have projects or like um, experiments to show in the fields that you're aspiring to be in but but just things like you know um, guest posting a little more often or Right. Uh, putting yourself out there a little more and like making your LinkedIn look less generic, small things like that. And iteratively, I think I was able to catch people's attention. And then on top of it, just building your skills on just being yourself and not being, you, you don't have to pretend to be anybody else when you're trying to talk to people outside of your comfort zone. And so I think that's another thing that helped me break into this was just finding that common ground with the companies that I was looking to be employed at and like showing them uh, my true self and being vulnerable with them. And at the end of the day, they, they turned out to like me, <laughs> you know, which right. I think uh, a lot of people still struggle with. They feel like they need to pretend to be somebody else so that people in quote unquote, the West will appreciate yeah. them, you know? Right. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think at core right there is confidence, right? And, yeah. you know, you're not, no one starts out with an abundance of confidence, but over time through people like yourself, people like Gaetano, the folks that you surround yourself, if you're optimizing for those healthy work environments, people will slowly lift you up. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm very fortunate to be in a community at work where this is a non-conversation. Like, you know, th there is no bias around this. And I, and I love seeing that at Nextiva, especially the only thing that matters is that you're a good cultural fit and you have coachability and you're, you're willing to learn. And right. everything else is like, it, it doesn't even matter, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's, it's so true. Well, thank you for that. So switching okay. gears a little bit once more. <laughs> so you, you've obviously made a name for yourself in the SEO space. And I think SEO is a funny, it's a funny space in the sense that people interpret it differently. It means different things to different people, unfortunately. And I think maybe right now it'd be helpful to like sort of talk about some of the myths around SEO that kind of hold people back from being successful with it. I would say that, um, you know, number one, um, I can't comment on anything technical SEO because I'm still a beginner and I, I tell myself not to have strong opinions about it because Google keeps changing. So who am I to have <laughs> any sort of fixed opinions about what the search engine does with it? But I've lately been identifying some SEO governance issues inside of companies that I've been talking to and just a few other companies that I've been mentoring. And you'd be surprised that, you know, there's still a focus on quantity versus quality. I I hear people say, you know what, our goal is to publish 50 blogs in Q3. And I go, okay, but who is dictating these goals? And right. so that kind of leads me to the second myth is that, 
or like the, the second problem with uh, being successful in cytokine SEO is that you let your SEO decisions come from non-SEO leaders. They just don't get it. They're not going to get it because that's not their function of expertise. And what ends up happening is that just what I said, you know, they give you unrealistic goals, like you should publish 50 different posts in one quarter and they measure it by content publishing frequency. You know, they, they try to put you against competitors and say, oh, you know what, this company who we're competing against, they posted 100 times on social media last month, whereas we only posted 25 times and they published two right. posts a week last month and why haven't we and if we're going at this pace we're never going to beat them and right. when you don't have a ton of experience inside of seo you don't know how to defend yourself there and also you don't know how to defend yourself when it's one of you against an entire team of non-seo leaders trying to steer you in a certain direction yes <laughs> and which brings me to my next problem or gap that i see is that Hiring an SEO leader, but making every decision a battle. So a lot of the times when I'm when I'm talking to friends inside of SEO and content, a lot of people tell me I have it easy because I work with a team that appreciates demand gen and they know the mechanics of how that function works. And you know it is true. I take it for granted because it's never been a problem for me. But a lot of my peers. Every SEO decision they make, which can include anything from changing your blog layout to moving CTAs and CTA languages to changing the navigation, every single thing is up for debate when it shouldn't be because you know, you're saying it based off of industry best practices. You're saying it based off of experiments that either you have done or your peers have done. And by making every, every one of those suggestions like a process in justification is going to wear your SEO team down and right. you know that's not going to make them any better at producing results and <laughs> this one is another one which uh, which I think is uh, again it's unfortunate that this happens but SEO still happens to be one of the understaffed functions a lot of people underestimate this because they say okay you know what I've hired an SEO person or like a head of SEO or somebody completely in charge of SEO and now my job is done but that's not true because it's a highly collaborative function SEO teams or like demand gen teams require a multitude of different types of talent. You know, they, they need design people, they need marketing engineers, they need technical SEO talent, they need, you know, specific people focused on link building and uh, PR initiatives. Right. You need dedicated copywriters. So sometimes people, when they are starting off in, in, inside of SEO and content, they don't realize that they're signing up for something a lot larger in my opinion, it needs to be a little army and not just one or two people working on this. Wow, yes to that. Yeah, yeah. And the final thing, which I think is, again, I'm building this off of the last one that I mentioned, um, as a quick fix to not hiring an SEO team, I've seen companies hire an SEO agency and mm -hmm. just kind of let them do their thing and not have an internal gatekeeper to hold them accountable. What ends up happening is that the SEO agency, because they've done this a million times before, they're able to identify that this company may not be as well-versed inside of SEO. And right. so they create reports every month saying, you know what, oh, we, we refreshed this page and we optimized the metadata on these pages and we saw an uptick of 5% on traffic. And then whoever's reading these reports, they have no idea what they're talking about because they throw all these technical terms at them like time on page and CPC right. and volume and keyword difficulty. So... At the end of the day, whoever is 
evaluating and assessing the success that that SEO agency has no idea about their goals and what success looks like. And so they end up getting disillusioned and say SEO doesn't work. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. There is a lot to unpack there. It's yeah. Like that last point in particular, I think, especially if you're late to the game, so to speak in paying attention to SEO, I think there's definitely a sense when people, you know, whether they're hiring someone full time, you know, to work in house on it, or if they're hiring an agency, I think people imagine SEO is like turning on a faucet. And when you yep. turn the faucet, a flow of benefits and results will immediately emerge. But as we know, it's not just about turning the faucet on. It's about incremental changes over time and consistency. And people are impatient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's problematic. Yeah, totally. They don't realize that these governance issues actually end up happening until you go through the motions of building an SEO team and working with them and constantly iterating to make sure that their success and your success are aligned, which at the end of the day means it's not enough that we get more traffic. We should also get more leads and revenue. Awesome. So I'll jump into some of your favorite content marketers and then we can do the hot take round. (laughs) Sounds good. Yep. Cool. Okay, so I want to know, because you've, you've talked about, you know, going through a process of learning from others, who are your favorite content marketers and why do you like them? Why are they changing the game? How'd they get your attention? Sure, yeah. And this list keeps changing. It's forever evolving. So I think for the last couple of months, uh, I've been, you know, stealthily following <laughs> a few people. Number one on the list is Eddie Schlener. You probably know him. He works yes. at G2. I think it's brilliant. I almost kick myself every day thinking, why didn't I come up with very good copy myself? You know, just right. it, it makes so much sense. It's it's exactly what um, content marketers who say, you know what, I'm busy. I don't have time to write my own blogs. And then he's like, yeah, write micro blogs and do micro <laughs> interviews. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's just like so obvious. And you did it. And he nails it. He goes that extra mile with his research and reading. And he breaks it down so well for everybody on his blog as well as on LinkedIn. And I love that he's growing his audience. You know, I, I, I want to be Eddie. Yeah. yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then the other person's Cameron Jenkins. She used to be Spotify's um, head of communications. And then now she's moved to Shopify. I think I feel some kind of extra kinship with Cameron because she also doesn't have a technical background inside of SEO, but I've seen her working with amazing brands. I've seen her take on leadership roles. And she's one of the big reasons why I still have faith in myself. And I say to myself, you know, you don't need to be that unicorn to get those big roles. And, And I feel like you're also one of the reasons that I, you know, tell myself that I can still do it too, because you know, I love that both of you have chosen your functions of strength and you've built your reputation and you've worked, you know, closely in that function and that landed you in amazing companies. And so, yeah, you and Cameron, I, I have like an extra, extra kinship with both of you. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say like the final two on my list um, and I'm I'm so happy that I get to work with them every day is Joe Manna and Devin Pickle. They're, they're both on the demand gen team at Nextiva. I look up to them for two specific reasons and like different reasons. 
Joe has a copywriting background and he used to work at Infusionsoft and he's he's very he's very new to VoIP, just like any of us who joined <clears throat> Nextiva, but he's such a fast learner. And I love that, you know, he's intentionally evolving his role at Nextiva and it's it's beautiful watching that growth. And Devin, on the other hand, uh, he's fresh into the team, but he's already making such huge strides. And I look up to them for motivation almost every day. Like it, both of them, um, you know, just outside of Gaetano are the two biggest reasons that I push myself to do more. They don't know this and I don't know if they're going to hear this, but <laughs> the world needs to know it. Oh, yeah. They're going to know. We'll tag them. We'll let them know. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for that. So obviously content has really changed a lot. And I think even, you know, when when I started many years ago, it was like, oh, content is blogging. And I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, marketers included, that still think that content might be about blogging, but, you know, it's obviously evolving, right? Content is video, content is podcasts. Content can be so many different things. And so I'm curious, how do you define content marketing today in 2020? I think the, the the simplest way that I can put it and at the same time make it seem as valuable as it is, uh, is this, you know, content marketing is audience building on a budget. And you can pretty much use any channel you want for that. And it doesn't end at creation. The content production process today is so complex. And that's one of the reasons why content marketers are more valued today than they were before, because it just doesn't stop at creating content. It goes into optimization. It goes into understanding on-page SEO so that it actually ranks. It then trickles into promotion. It trickles into core marketing and then refreshes in constant updates which then trickles into conversion rate optimization and making sure that any piece of content you're producing has a purpose that drives revenue. So it's audience building on a budget. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, that's well said. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> so true though. Um, I think that that's, that's sort of something, it's critical to, to take stock of how far we've come with content, but then also just realizing you know, there is this simple underlying concept that you share here. It's audience building on a budget. It really brings together the part of content that is about creating things, sharing messages, but aligning that very clearly to business objectives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, just, just building off that last part that we just chatted about is, you know, good content marketing gets you the eyeballs. And that was enough a few years ago. Um, but great content marketing drives people to take action. You know, that, that means you're getting more leads and sales. And that's one of the most covetable skills today uh, inside of marketing, I think. I couldn't agree more. Alina, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. You shared so many gems. It's ridiculous. Um, thank you for coming <laughs> on first person. Thanks, Anya. This was so much fun. Alina Benny is a self-made woman, having broken into tech marketing without any special connections or introductions, and now she's leading content and SEO at Nextiva. And I think that's what makes her uniquely qualified to talk about the risks of becoming obsessed with the content unicorn. 
that mythic monster capable of creating credible and compelling content while also driving technical SEO optimizations, coding, and growing a highly trafficked blog. Content unicorns really further the idea that people are capable of being the Swiss army knives of marketing. The reality is the only group that idea serves is business owners, which makes sense, right? Why hire two or three people on a team when you can search for just one person who does everything? Besides being totally unrealistic, the notion of a content unicorn actually doesn't set most content marketers up for success. And as Alina points out, it's really demotivating to think you've got to acquire all of this expertise in the span of just a few short years in order to be successful. Instead, as Alina points out, strong content functions are the result of not just one single person, but many working together to hit goals. For smaller companies, that actually might mean you know, partnering with other teams to get the job done. But if you're fortunate enough to build out a squad of more than one person, don't waste your time looking for a unicorn. Find team members that actually complement each other's skill sets and are able to work collaboratively to get shit done.